Hi, everyone, and welcome to Drew Kama Radio. I'm your co-host, Deliahu. We are very grateful to have Daishi with us today. How are you, Daishi? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. It's been a long time. I'm glad to be back, and I look forward to the show. Yeah, it has been a long time, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are anxious to get started again. So today's subject is going to be on the nature of perception, the self, and the senses. So, of course, the most obvious question would be, what is perception or the nature of perception? Uh, That's a great question. That's a big question. And I think that that goes back to trying to understand the mental aggregates as a whole, right? So if we try to chop them down into five bits, we can say that there are five pieces of a human being, or at least pieces that come together like a symphony that seem to make one thing, the identity, but they're actually five interdependent parts. We can call them broken up this way, memory, identity, ego, intellect, and cognition or awareness. And all of those things work in tandem as the brain fires the synapses and the axon and dendrites and sort of draws these files together as they're needed as we go throughout the day. And a lot of this stuff happens unconsciously. So cognition or awareness is one of those five aggregates that gives us the ability to know that we're knowing or to know that we're looking at memory or to know that we're looking at a perceiver perceiving perceived object and so on. So awareness or perception can be seen as the actual I-ness that watches these parts play the role of the illusory identity. So would you say that perception is something that we're born with or is it something that is developed as you grow? For example, like maybe, actually I've read in some places where perception is triggered by memory or impressions that we brought on from either this life or prior lives. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I think that's a great question and there's no real good answer for it because I'm not sure that anyone really knows the answer to when perception becomes obviously aware of itself because at that point, it gets blurred, right? Like, did it just start or before that? And I just wasn't recognizing that it had started, right? So it brings up a kind of a theoretical, metaphysical conversation that goes beyond what we're capable of really understanding. So when it becomes awakened is debatable. You know, some people would say that you really only awaken perception once it's freed from the entanglements of the aggregates themselves. In other words, when it's free from the illusory identity. And others would say, well, a perception is always pristine and clear, and it's always been there and always will be there. And it doesn't matter if you're observing it or not, it's still there. So there are all kinds of philosophical discussions about that. But I think Again, what's most important is what's in your experience. You know, it doesn't matter that we could say life is Maya and illusion and it's not real and it's dreamlike. But if you're not experiencing that in your day-to-day, moment-by-moment perception, then it doesn't matter what the truth of the issue is. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It matters really how you're perceiving. So you can say, well, life is good. Life should be happy. Life should be joyful. If you're not perceiving it that way, that doesn't mean anything. So really, each individual person has to look at how they're perceiving their reality, and they have to go by that. So it doesn't matter about the reality. It matters about our reality. And that's the most important thing. In that sense, the spiritual path is always about where you are. And if you're happy, contented, if you're free from suffering, if you're free from the illusory entanglements of unconscious mind stream and the unconscious illusory identity, then for you, it's that way. It doesn't mean it's that way in truth. It doesn't mean that's that way for everyone else. But what's most important is for you, it's like that. And that's what I think is important about the path is to be honest and truthful about where you are and what you're really experiencing rather than what the theoretical or philosophical discussions say should be real or say should be happening or say what the truth is. Truth is what I experience. I've noticed that within myself, speaking of your realities, if you are experiencing lots of joy within yourself, 
you perceive everything outside of you as being joyful alongside with you. If your reality is in the negative, you know, and you see disease around you and you see war. That's a great way of looking at it. Absolutely true. The way that you feel inside reflects your macrocosmic view. If you happen to be blissful, if you happen to be joyful, if you happen to be loving and compassionate and impartial, you're going to see the reality that way because that's the way you're reflecting out like a mirror. And so somebody who sees the world in pain and suffering and who has mental iterations, agitations, undulations, and they're suffering by reactionary emotions and physiological disorders, obviously that's going to reflect out in the world the same way. I think the problem inherently within the world right now is that 99.90% of the people happen to live in one of those conditions. So they have mental iterations, you know, problems with thought flow. They have problems with reactionary emotions that they don't understand. They're not sure why they're coming up. They don't understand why the song is playing in their head or why they're having dialogues with themselves, whoever that is in their mind. They're <laughs> projecting this outward into the reality. And that's the reason why the spiritual path really has to be taken, not for any other purpose to really not to focus more on your job or to get a better income or have a better girlfriend or boyfriend or wife. It's so that we break through the mental illusory identity. The attachments and entanglements to those aggregates are wiped out and the spiritual sense is activated. And then we can perceive not through the five faulty senses, but beyond them through a higher sense, an order that transcends the binary or dualistic mindset, which is either on or off, left or right, good or bad, the spiritual sense or whatever we call this faculty that activates once the identity starts to break apart, or at least the attachment to it does, is this higher order, this higher mind, this higher self. That is the place where we can start to understand that both love and not love are one thing, or hate and love are both the same thing. And the polarity kind of blurs together. So we can start to perceive in a different way, a much more universal. It's not a unified way so much. It's just not two, right? I like that a lot better. It's not one, it's just not yes. two. And that's beautiful what you said there. Because it also leads us into when we start talking about the self. I know that in some practices it's said only when one reaches nirvana or samadhi does one truly realize the inner self, the Atman. And the identity with the body and its ego is separated. Can we speak about this? Yeah, that's exactly what we were saying earlier, that the entanglements go so deeply unconsciously toward the consistent or persistent identity crisis, right? So that every moment we have an identity that's repeating itself, it's consistently rebuilding itself and we're carrying it along. It's an illusory concept, but it's persistent. So we think that I am experiencing these feelings, these thoughts, these actions, and in truth, there's no person there doing it. There's just an experiencing of them. But we have been conditioned societally and culturally that there is a person there. There's a static thing, but there's no static thing. The only thing static about the whole experience is the beingness of the cognition. So underneath that garment, that webbing of illusory conflict, that insulation of noisy mind stream, the aggregates, the memory, the projections, and all these things that are going on, underneath is a pristine, clear cognition. But really, the path is not about building that cognition or building that awareness to become something greater. It's about removing the husk or removing the garment that's blocking that from shining through. And that's really what the practicing and the processing of the path is. It's about removing and letting go of the entanglements to that hypnotic transient identity synapsis that's going on, right? And that's why plasticity of the mind is so important, because we can shape how the mind 
glues into normal reactionary synaptic processes. We can change that. But that's where the advanced parts of the path have to really be understood because it's not just sitting in emptiness. There is a process there that has to be followed. So you can be just now and you can be just mindful, but that's a slow way of undoing that karmic echo, the weaving or the entanglement or the attachment of the synaptic flow. It's very slow to just be mindful. There are other ways to get rid of that karmic deeply unconscious held karmic identity weaves or sutures or threads in a much more aggressive way if it's understood well. That's an interesting way of putting it because from my past experiences, I've met a lot of people and I was one of them in the beginning of the practice who would say to myself, you know, I need to be a better person. I need to be more mindful. I need to be, I need to be, I need to be. And in essence, once you're on the path, as you say, it burns away or it erases the entanglements so that you can become that person that you want to be. That person blooms of itself like a lotus. Absolutely right. It literally just comes forth once we release the garment or the husk that's shielding it. So it's the same reason why you'd hear, you know, in the Christian tradition, Christ saying you wouldn't take a lamp and cover it. You'd expose it to the world. So that underlying light that we all are, that constant being awareness, that innocent childlike perfection that lives underneath that essential nature, our job is just to really let go of and undo all the unconscious, deeply held, entangled commitments to that illusory identity. And that does take work. There is a process there. You cannot intellectually agree to just let that happen. There's too many unconscious habit energies that are there that have to be undone. But as we continue in the right path with the right ideas, those entanglements to illusory identity, the persistency of that will release and eventually stream happens, right? That spiritual sense just pervades and comes back as the husk is released. The more you start examining mind itself, and all its games that it plays with you. There's a lot of ways to attack the karma. There's a lot of ways. We can go at it mindfully. We can do it through the simple Theravedic view from Vipassana or Samatha, or you can go even deeper into Shakti and understanding how to get karma by watching aggregates in deep states of meditation and through our waking practices. You know, it depends on how fast you want to unleash this karma because really what they are, they're a bunch of underlying synaptic processes that we keep unconsciously empowering. So once we get down to see them consciously, like we reveal the unconscious consciously, we can stop empowering them and they lose their friction, their energy, their power. And when they lose their friction, energy, power, they get this plasticity of mind. We'll just say this synaptic process is no longer necessary. Let it go. It's not being used. It's not being observed. There's no purpose for it. So it can go. And that's really what happens in karma. We just consciously watch it, consciously become aware of it. And through that, we can let it go. It's no longer useful. It's not serving a purpose. Like a shell around a small chick. Once it gets strong enough to peck through it, the shell yields to the chick because it says it's now more powerful than I am. I am no longer serving a purpose protecting the chick. The chick is now stronger than I am. That's what we want through our will. Once you realize the self, is there a perception of who you were or is everything just, for lack of a better word, copacetic and at one? The memory doesn't go away. We're not actually destroying the identity or the ego or the memory or the intellect. We're not destroying any part of the aggregates. We're simply detaching from our unconscious entanglement to them. So the moment that we make that detachment, we can then always go back and access them, but we can do it consciously. So I can use the intellect to calculate whether six and five makes 11 or not. The intellect is not driving me. The ego is not driving me. 
the memories are not driving me, etc. So the projections and fears that I have about next Saturday's water bill are not driving me unconsciously to have anxiety. Now I can access and say, oh, I have a bill due Saturday and it can just be what it is. And so that allows me to live in a completely different way. Now, there are degrees to this. So once we break through that stream where that spiritual sense starts to become active and the five senses are seen for what they are, the five aggregates are detached from, it takes us a little while to settle into that state because it's a very radical state. So you'll hear most people who achieve this state of stream or the spiritual sense, they need some time to adjust because it's almost like you're born again innocently. You're kind of raw. You're exposed. And you're sort of like, wow, you know, this is a crazy, unfettered way of seeing the world and seeing myself. After that gets adjusted to, you can then move back into using the identity, the ego, using them in positive ways, right? To like communicate with each other, to talk right now. If you just turned into a, a mindless zombie, it wouldn't be very helpful, right? I mean, sure, you wouldn't have any suffering, but you'd be drooling in the corner and somebody would have to feed you. The idea here is we're going to take control of the vehicle, the physiological brain, the body, and we're going to take control of that consciously and use it consciously rather than it using us. And that's the important part about mastering this whole thing called life. We can go get jobs and make money and get control and have sex and rock and roll and learn knowledge and we can do all these things. But really that outward kind of possession is never going to get us to know ourselves in the vehicle. We're not going to really understand who we are, how the mind's working, how the emotions work and how the body's working, how the speech is working. We're not going to understand these things unless we actually have a practical method of exploring them and undoing our unconscious conditioning toward it. And that is really where the path, the authentic path, becomes paramount to someone's very short existence here. Come here, figure it out, live well, be happy, and move on. And that's where the outside world is so busy trying to get us away from looking at ourselves. They're constantly showering us with outward desires and stuff instead of teaching us to focus within. And that's where a true teacher is necessary on this path. Because if you do it alone, it's very easy to fall out and fall into delusions or illusions, I should say. It's a scary situation because you haven't been there before. So the thing you need is somebody who's been there, authentically been there, and right. understands the depth of the end. Because you're going in uncharted territory. So how do I get my will strong enough and my intention or aspiration strong enough and point it in the right direction to not only activate this sense, but also get down to the levels I need to? And it takes this karmic reduction, that habit energy reduction or that karma reduction, whatever you want to call this thing, has to be done in a particular way. It's like having a guide. Somebody who says, hey, watch out here. Be careful with this. Don't go down that path and sort of advising you the same way you'd need somebody who, you know, if you said, I'm going to walk to New York and I've never even been to the United States, but I'm going to start in California and hopefully I make it. <laughs> it would be, you know, if you've never done this before, you're going to end up in Idaho probably and you're going to think it's New York, but you're not going to be in the right direction at all. And so that's why it's important to have somebody that's authentically actually done it. If that hasn't happened, then you've got trouble. And I think today's society, we have a lot of people who talk about it. As if we can intellectually decide to be non-dual, that's never going to happen. You have the idea that ordinary awareness, the space between thoughts, the quiet space between thoughts is being essential nature. On one hand, yes, it's true that there is essential nature there. But on the other hand, you're not experiencing it. That nirvana that everyone speaks about is not that. It's a pristine, clear, radiant understanding of the total unconscious mind and the aggregate connections that entail the persistent 
collection and reinforcement of this illusory identity person. That has to be broken completely apart. That's really where that enlightenment realization, nirvana stream entry idea comes from, not just from sitting quietly between your thoughts. Like, right now there's no dialogue. Is that nirvana? No, because there's underlying unconscious noise happening that you're not even aware of, and it's causing you to have iterations. It's causing you to have undulations of the mind, and that makes it so that your ability to really rest in essential nature impossible. So how do we do that? Find somebody that's done it and follow them. That's most important. If you don't have access to somebody like that, we're providing the teachings online. We're finally publicly giving our teachings. We have hundreds of students throughout the world. We've had them for years, and we're just finally going public with it. It's a nonprofit organization, so your donations go to help support those students. But we're starting to fill up a practical application that we've been giving out to our inner students for years, and we're giving those instructions out one step at a time so that you can actually take this path in a way that makes sense. It's practical. We talk about the theory and we talk about the practicality of it. But if that's not your way, at least find somebody who has truly broken through and follow their guidance because you need that for sure. Trying to do it on your own is impossible. It's like being in the middle of the ocean and trying to find your way to Hawaii. The odds of you falling into it accidentally are probably close to nil. I totally agree with you, Daishi. And I speak for myself. I, without a teacher, went into very many different paths, all leading me to where I am today. But I could have done it if I had met you much earlier instead of going all these different paths that I went on. You know, now in my 50s, I feel like I have to speed up a little bit. <laughs> well, but, you know, uh, they're all really important. You had to go through them, but yeah, you're headed in the right direction, and that's the most important thing now. Understanding the fundamental nature of how you operate is what the path has always been about. It's been like that for thousands of years. It will always remain that way. Anything other than that is ancillary benefit. So if you get more focused, if meditation makes you more clear and a sharper mind, you're able to add numbers together better, hey, that's all great. But those are ancillary side effects. The real thing is to conquer and completely disassemble the attachment to the aggregates and to release that spiritual sense that transcends the limited five senses. That's what it's always been about. And that has to be the paramount goal. And it does take practice realization. It takes an attempt. And the attempt has to be intention and will together. Both of those things. And those are important fundamentals. We talk about them. And we will continue on this radio show to talk about them as well as we go forward. There was something that Rumi, the poet, wrote don't worry if you don't know what the path is. Just begin walking, begin your journey, and the path will present itself to you. And I think that plays very well with this right now. Have the aspiration. Have an aspiration, and, and it will take care of you. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, beautiful. Thanks so much for joining us today, Daishi. You have that new website, drukama.com. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please send us an email at radio at drukama.com. That's R-A-D-I-O at drukama, D-R-U-K-A-M-A.com. Thanks for joining us for today's show. We look forward to seeing you in the next.